I was listening to a Sheryl Crow song, and it typifies a view that is really eating away at what people think of Christianity. And that's a fun song. She's a great singer. Uh, If it makes you happy, how can it be wrong? If it makes you happy, why the blank are you so sad? I made myself happy with the trip to Washington, D.C. and back there playing with the power makers. And I even told myself, this is an act of God. God called me to D.C. And the more I grow in faith and the more I'm discipled, I grow to understand, no, I didn't. God, that, that wasn't God. That, that, was, that was you. That was you. And as I look into this, and I imagine you've done the same thing, there's a lot of confusion about how to know the Word of God, and more specifically, God's voice in what He wants you to do. And it's not helped with theology-like, if it makes you happy, why the blank are you so sad, and how can it be wrong? And yet there are some pretty simple ways to know that you're not following God's voice. And there is a so-called pastor, uh, (laughs) or priest, a so-called priest, who will be example number one in this. We'll talk about that. Plus, for 2023, there are some books I think you should read, particularly with your family. I think these are important. We'll look at all of this with the help of MyPillow.com. Use promo code TODD. The Todd Herman Show is 100% disapproved by big pharma, technocrats, and tyrants everywhere. Now, from the high mountains of free America, here's the Emerald City Exile, Todd Herman. Today is the day the Lord has made, and these are the times through which God has decided we shall live. I'm still really uh, becoming increasingly affected by the death of my friends and former colleague, Dory Monson, uh, Cairo radio host in Seattle. For folks who didn't get to hear him, you missed some of the best radio in the world. And a guy who spent three decades tracking government waste, fraud, and abuse, exposing it, changing it. We know not when the day or the time uh, when we're going to get called home or not home, depending on how we react to the free gift of grace that's offered us through the Lord Jesus. And that's why I think topics like this are vital. You know, we talk about, (laughs) I should save this when we talk about Zach Abraham's company, Bulwark, but you you talk about that retirement zone and that you're five to 10 years from retirement, you're in that risk zone. I guess the older we get, the more, you know, the closer we are to checking out and to wrapping up life on on this earth. And it happens to young people, sadly, too, you know, particularly in the era of the COVID injections that young people are getting murdered. So I think it's time that we take stock. I guess it's always time that we take stock of eternity. And that begins a discussion of how to hear God's voice. Or how to discern whether it's God's voice that you hear. And it starts with, uh, for me, an equation. We are used to thinking about this earth. What makes us happy now? And as kids, little kids, it's what makes me happy in the next 30 seconds. Because 30 seconds later, I'm going to want something else. And if you think about junior high crushes, I can tell you that when I was in junior high, I thought the perfect, perfect young woman, girl, her name was, uh, was Susie. I thought she was perfect. And then after that, I thought Pam was perfect. And, and after that, I thought Michelle was perfect. And, and I could just take the list on. And then uh, obviously you grow older and you realize ain't nobody perfect. No human And taste change. So on this earth, the things that made you happy 10 years ago will not make you happy 10 years later. And it begins with a kingdom view. I said one day to someone, 
after having been injured in, in CrossFit, I said this, well, I actually said it to my coach. I said, coach, I don't know that God wants me here anymore. And she said, why would God take away something that makes you happy? And I said, it is not God's promise to make us happy. It's his desire to make us holy. And if I'm not putting God at the center right here in the gym and, it's, and God's not at the center of this, why would he care? Why would he care? I'm okay. I'm, I'm caring for the temple. But if I'm doing that in a way that's not godly, why would God want that to continue? There's a pruning. We go through a pruning that God is going to remove things from us. Like you would remove parts of a plant that are not productive. And, and the Lord Jesus uses these examples of, of he is, you know, he's the vine. And apart from him, torn from the vine, we can do nothing. We're tossed into the, uh, the pile of twigs to be burned. So it starts with an eternal view, a kingdom view. What makes us holy? What draws us closer to the Lord? That's the stuff where we get closer to God's voice. Because God's voice isn't going to push us away from him. It isn't going to put at risk eternity. God's word will always be designed to call us towards him. His voice is always calling us towards him. It's never calling us apart or trying to push us apart from him. So let's start with a, um, a real easy one. How to know that you are not hearing God's voice correctly. And then I'll tell you about why I've come to think of this trip to D.C. as it's helpful because God can make good of any bad situation. He can make good of anything. And I believe he's certainly made good on the time I spent in D.C., but I no longer think it was his voice that called me there. So if you are, in fact, I didn't realize he's going to talk about this. If you are five to ten years from retirement, you are in a real risk zone. And, and you can think of it this way. Like, you know, I've, I've said before, and I've stolen this phrase from a guy who's passed on many, many years ago. In fact, a couple of decades ago, his name was Peter Weisbach. He was a great talk show host. He was, he was the sort of guy just fun to hear argue with people. He was so good at debating. Even when he didn't agree with them, you could be kind of astonished at his ability to debate. He used to say that our money is our life's energy stored up. And it is. It's also a collection of things that the Lord has given us to steward. It's money God has given us the, uh, the, the, the privilege of, of managing. And I could liken retirement to a boat. Okay, so if you've ever docked a boat, you know, there's no road. So you guide the boat into the dock. And when you are you know, a mile away from the dock, you're just trying to find the dock. Oh, that's that's it's a house. It's the yellow house next to the see. Yeah. Nope. There's the kids and you're guiding it in. And uh, OK, we're going to we're going to dock the boat on the right hand side of the dock. OK. And oh, there's a dog. There's, someone moved the dog back. And, you know, you're 400 yards out. Oh, who cares? You know, you're coming in and at some points, you know, you cut the engine and you're steering. And, and now at that point right there. You're in the you're in the, the kind of danger zone because if you screw that up, then you got to come back. Or if the worst happens, you don't slow down enough. You smack the dock, and and I've seen people like with water skiing do that, and they don't dump off their skis soon enough, and then pow, smack, hit the dock. Which, by the way, I've heard that hurts. I can't say for sure, but I've heard smacking the dock when you're water skiing. I've heard it's painful. And in retirement, five to ten years from retirement, that's the risk zone. Because at that point, you know, if things go too fast or the bumps are too pronounced or the changes in the market are too much of a whiplash, your plan to retire in six and a half months and two days could become six and a half years or more. Find out if your portfolio, if your life's energy is invested for risk management, because that is the zealous obsessive, always on focus at Bulwark Capital Management. It's simple. Just call them. Say, listen to the podcast, Todd Herman Show. You know, Zach's on here every single week. He's the chief investment officer there. He's my friend and my brother. Call him at 866-779-RISK. Tell me you want to check your portfolio to see if it's set up for risk management. Will it survive the chaos economy? 866-779-RISK or go to knowyourriskradio.com. 
Investment advice cannot be given with a client service agreement. Bullock Capital Management is an investment advisor, representative of Chuck Financial LLC, and SEC registered investment advisor. Here's a real simple way to know that you are not obeying the word of God. They call this guy a priest. Um, and he is, he's, he's made a very exciting, very important, brave and stunning announcement as we hear here on uh, GBN Live. The Church of England has its first non-binary, openly non-binary priest, Bingo Allison. Not sure if that was her born name, 36, her Christian name, is genderqueer and says God guided them to come out. Good morning and welcome to the Church of St. Margaret of Antioch in Toxteth. And today is Transgender Day of Visibility. Uh, my name is Reverend Bingo Allison and I am a non-binary transgender priest in the Church of England. Yeah, you're not. You're a very confused man. And you may not know you're lying, but you're lying. And God made you man. Or made you woman. Yes, yes, yes. I know about intersex people that are three-tenths of a percent of the society, and I can't imagine how you would deal with that. That's That's got to be unbelievably confusing. And the fact that some people are, are born with cancer doesn't mean we all have cancer. Some people are born blind doesn't mean we're all blind. It doesn't mean that sight is on a spectrum, and it doesn't mean that gender is on a spectrum. If you have taken a position that is opposed to the word of God biblically, you are not hearing God's voice. God did not go to that man and say, you are in fact a woman or you are in fact have no gender. That didn't happen. How do I know that? Because God will never disagree with God. God is not confused. He's never confused. At no point is God going to say something to you which belies or argues with anything in the Bible. So when God said he's made man and woman, then he has made you what you are. Now, I can hear in my mind people saying, exactly. I am a same-sex attracted person. Well, guess what? Those of us who are married are also attracted to members of the opposite sex, not our spouses. And yet, being married and understanding God's design for sexuality, we don't get to act on those feelings. Is that fair? Yes, because there's a kingdom view. See, the equation is the kingdom view. And the equation is this. Is the momentary satisfaction of X worth being excluded from the presence of God forever? And if you view the equation that way, then all of these questions, all the answer to these questions become easier to measure. So it, let's just take the easy stuff. The easy stuff is the sexual stuff because this is how the, this is how the, the, the enemy works on us because it's so very easy. You know, this, it's just wound into us. We've got this desire to reproduce, just to be completely blunt, and that, that's wound into all of us, particularly men. So you take something like you're on a road trip, and or you're whatever and you have this opportunity to cheat on your spouse and you think no one will know i'm in bangladesh no one is going to know therefore this moment this hour of 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 lust and and this this is going to be this is going to make me happy so why the heck would i not do it okay let's say that that happens And let's say that you experience that. Now, here's some things that can happen. You can fall to your knees and repent. And you could be truly, truly repentant. And you could say to the Lord, I am so sorry. And what I did was filthy and wrong. And, and I deeply repent. And I never want to repeat that. And, and I have befouled the temple. And I've befouled this lady. And I have caused her to stumble. And I've, and I've put up a stumbling block between her and you. And now I've, I've put her eternity at risk. And I'm deeply, deeply sorry. And you could fall to your knees. And you could weep. And God could say, okay, I forgive you. Go and sin no more, and now go tell your wife. What? Yeah, go tell your wife. Well, I don't want to tell my wife. Oh, so you're going to lie to her? <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just not going to mention it. 
Right, so you're going to lie. Thou shalt not lie. Everything that is hidden will be revealed. It was not God's voice that sent you into that. Likewise, and I've gotten a couple emails this week from people saying, I feel like God is calling me to leave my wife. Unless your wife is actively cheating on you, he's not. Unless she's abusing you or abusing your kids or you know, harming them physically, harming them mentally in distinct ways, he, he's not calling you to break up your family. So in that case, you could then say, okay, I'm going to tell my wife. You know what? You can't control your wife's response. Your wife's response might be, and she'd be perfectly biblically justified saying, no. I'm not taking you back. I'm done. We get a divorce. We're done. And then you're one of those statistics. And now your kids have a split household and a house divided against itself cannot stand. Now your kids are spent. And now your kids are separated from the family unit that God designed. Because God designed the family unit. That's the first thing after he saw Adam was alone and the animals weren't sufficiently, um, you know, weren't sufficient company for Adam. He said, it is not good that man is alone and here is woman. And now that momentary happiness, but it made me happy and it was a sin, but she felt like an instant soulmate. And well, okay, yeah, but now you have this. Okay, and you can repent and you can go to your kids and say, I'm so very sorry, but now they'll never have that unique family unit. And now as you sit before the throne of judgment, you have to answer for all this again. Now, again, God forgives. He's anxious and, and, and he's righteous to forgive. But you are not following God's voice when you deny his design. And God's voice will never call you into sin. It will never do that. And here's this prevailing worldview. And this is also from this, this so-called priest who is contending that God told him that he's neither man nor woman. Of being too woke it's not woke and enough. losing its congregations it's as, it's, as a result. The recent census report showed that, what is it, 70% only identify as being Christian because it's not inclusive enough. I'm all for bingo, Alison. And do you know that you, the youth, generation, generation X and Z, well, two third, a third now identify as non-binary. We need to be more inclusive to the younger generation. Oh, hang on, I think that's and a as a woman, as a woman to four young adults, yeah. I would have thought you would have been more inclusive to all of this. As long as he's teaching the word of God, he she is teaching the word of God. What's wrong with what he is? Hang he's on, Narita, teaching the word say, of God. You 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 cannot teach the word of God when you yourself are wrapped in a lie. You cannot, you cannot simultaneously speak the word, speak the word of God. I guess you can mouth the word of God, but you cannot teach the word of God when you yourself stand opposed to the word of God. Now that's an easy one. It continues to be an easy one, and that's analogous to if it makes you happy, how could it be so wrong? Again, the equation is. Let's say, hey, well, wait a minute. This, I, I, I've, I've been married for 30 years and, and our marriage is at a stalemate. And I've met this woman and she is half my age and she makes me feel alive and she knows me and, and she understands my great potential. And, and she, she, uh, she doesn't have any of the hangups that I've had in this past 30 years. And at least I could have this 10 years of happiness, this 10 years of happiness with my soulmate. And my wife hasn't cheated on me, and I have no biblical cause for divorce. And and uh, but 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 ten years of happiness with my soulmate. Do the equation. What is ten divided by eternity? <laughs> well, you, you can't do it. This is the fundamental change in understanding, uh, I think, for me, is it God's voice? Because God is, he's not concerned with your 10 years. He's not concerned with your 60 years or your 84.3 years. Yes, in that time, he has a plan for you. He wants you to follow his word, the word of his son and the modeling of his son. And he wants you to make disciples and he wants you to build the kingdom. And he wants to have a love relationship with you for that split second, which is what this is. God speaks for eternity. He speaks to call us to him, never away. How do we know this? Because the entire Bible, all of it, after the fall, after the garden and in in, in, in Satan deceiving Adam and Eve through the serpent's body, 
after that moment, everything in the Bible is about the Lord trying to bring us back into the fold. All of it. The entire thing. So his word will never act to separate us from him. And then there's this in the more complicated things. I'll tell you why I think my little adventure in Washington, D.C. for a year and a half, maybe a year and eight months. That was a year and eight months. Why I now think that was a manifestation of something I desired to do. And so I decided to wrap God around it. And even at that point, I wasn't even discipled. I was a Christian. I believed in God. I I accepted Christ as my Savior. But I wasn't discipled. I was a little, little tiny baby Christian, a little infant Christian. I can't tell you how many guys I've talked to who've served our country in combat who said that it was combat that really taught them about the existence of God. Whew, that's heavy. That's heavy. You've been called away from your family to fight evil, to defend, the, uh, to, to defend those who cannot defend themselves. Uh, you've been asked to prepare yourself to give your life for your brother. And no, no greater love hath man. And you've been asked to perform violence, and hopefully you are in a country where that is a religiously valid war. And the just war. I've talked to Tim Cruikshank, the founder and CEO of Bone Frog Coffee, only a couple times about combat experience. 25-year Navy veteran, Navy SEAL. He was the guy who was there to stitch you up when you got shot or an IED went off. And I've talked to him enough to know that, that he encountered God's face and heard God's voice in that. And when he came out and he founded Bone Frog Coffee, the first word that went on the label was God. And he does try to glorify God through the company, and that is by giving back. 10% of the proceeds go to those men, the families of those men, who are fallen Navy SEALs. The second word is country. We're called to be good citizens. And by building the kingdom, we also build the country. And the last word is God country team. Bonefrog hires vets every time they can. They choose to work with veteran-owned companies every time they can. And that all amasses into the product. The mission is coffee and the very, very best coffee that they can make. And Tim is not a coffee expert. He's becoming one. But he teamed up with Dave Stewart, who is a 30-year coffee legend. He started the entire coffee revolution in Seattle with Seattle's Best Coffee. He mentors the Bone Frog team on the blends. He makes some of the blends. There is now a decaf. It's called Zen Frog. It's the Swiss water process. So it doesn't have any of the nasty chemical taste of that garbage decaf that you buy elsewhere. And then there's Door Kicker, the highest caffeinated roast that they have at Bonefrog. Please make sure you go to bonefrog.us. That is the website that Tim and I, we built together. Our team's built together. 5% off subscriptions there for life. Bonefrog.us. In 1 John 4, uh, there is a call to test all spirits. We'll talk about that. Because the Bible itself says, hey, here's a good way to know if you are hearing God's voice. When I was, um, let's see, what did what had happened? I'd left Microsoft with the intent of starting a startup that, man, I had big, big vision for. And big ideas. And we decided to start with the wrong product, and I'll get into that someday. But it, was, it won a lot of awards, got famous, and won a lot of tech awards, and people thought it was cool. And I, at that time, I had someone from Amazon.com reach out to me and say, hey, uh, we know your work from Microsoft. We want you to come and be vice president of advertising. We are forming an advertising branch, and we think you're the top candidate. And basically, this is a check, you know, a box-checking interview. You come in and you can be a VP here. And at the same time, I had this this opportunity to go work at the Republican National Committee as the chief digital strategist. Now, God's word. If I were to sit and and, and have prayed, I don't know what God's word would have been. 
but I don't think it would have been this. I don't think God would have said to you, to me, okay, I have given you a startup and several million dollars in capital to steward. I have given you a team of people who rely upon you. I've given you a home. I've given you a marriage. I've given you a community. I've placed you within a church. Leave it. Walk away. Go to Babylon. Now, if I was going to Babylon to witness, to help bring people to the Lord, okay. If I was being called into battle against evil, and I, I, I convinced myself I was, and look, Barack Obama, so much evil has been done through him. Nancy Pelosi, so much evil has been done to them. They are absolutely tortured, captured. I think Pelosi's tortured. I don't think Obama's tortured. I think Barack Obama loves the evil done through him. I think I would hazard a guess that Barack Obama is fully aware of who he serves. I mean it. I don't know that Nancy Pelosi knows that. Because intellectually she is, and I'm not trying to be cruel, but intellectually she's in, she's a, she is a dim bulb intellectually. But Obama's not. But I wrapped God around this desire to go to D.C. and, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to go save the country. Really? How will you do that without saving souls? See the kingdom equation? No, I'm going to go for one election cycle. I'm going to slow down Barack Obama and make sure that he doesn't get to take over health care completely. Okay, you're going to go stall a thing. But tell me exactly how you save America without saving souls. How does that work? Where is America located in the new earth and where is America located in heaven? Where, what's, the, what's the heavenly location of a country called America? So I made the decision to go. If I'd prayed and the Lord had revealed to me and said to me, you have a, I'm, I'm showering you with opportunities. Now, what do you have said? I want you to go to work at a vile, evil company called Amazon that's going to end up, you know, promoting the, the live transgenderism, etc. Yes, if I had gone there with in mind, okay, I'm going to go and earn their money. And where I can, I'm going to witness to people. Where I can, I'm going to bear fruit. Where I can, I'm going to, to pray and, and beg that, that, Lord, you act through me to let people at Amazon see what, what a true Christian is. At the time, I wasn't a true Christian. But that wasn't it. What was I looking at? Then I had these conversations with my wife. And she was saying, you know, I just think you should do what should make you happy. You're not happy at Microsoft. And I think you really want to do this thing in D.C. And she meant well. She's always backed my risky schemes. But when we talked about Amazon, it was, oh my gosh, the money. Oh my gosh, four years, eight years. You could, do you know what you could vest at that period of time? To create the advertising department for Amazon, to, to create it from scratch, to do my own hiring, to create the products and the data. And I don't think the Lord cared. I think you say that to the Lord. He goes, huh, cool story, bro. Data, you say, wow, that's a cool story, bro. What are you doing for the kingdom? See, in all of that, I never sat down to say, Lord, where do you want me? Because if I think I sat and prayed and really listened, Lord, where do you want me? I think his question would be to do what? Want you? I, I don't care. What do I want you to do and where is it best done? I didn't examine God's word in any of it. I examined my heart. And it was the jazz. You know, going back and working in the power center, it was the jazz. And man, I've got stories. It's Babylon. It is a city of, of flesh and fleshly desires. It's a city of evil. It's a city of people making themselves so happy. People at the age of 26 starting their first gigs. By the age of 30, they've got $3 million in assets. All on the quick. 
the kids are in private schools all on the quick. If they need it, they've got a couple mil on speed dial. All on the quick. And they live next door to poverty. But they don't have to see it. They don't have to spend any time around it. It's sequestered. And hey, look, nobody's asking questions about why you spend so much time with the, uh, the interns. No one. No one's asking questions why you take a, you know, a 22-year-old intern on a, on a trip to meet with constituents. And yeah, she, you're teaching her how to be a scheduler. <laughs> Now, God has taken that and he's used it as good, but you know, it cost my daughter. It cost her. I can never put back together. Not seeing dad's face for six months. Yeah, she saw me on Skype. We had very creative ways of staying in touch. I read to her every night. She had a copy of the book I was reading to her. We turned the pages together. I drew pictures of like my hands with my wedding ring on it and I cut it into a puzzle for her to put back together and it was a picture of my hand holding her hand and she wasn't holding my hand. And I didn't get to be there to see her moods develop. It cost her. I wasn't fighting a war. I wasn't witnessing. I don't know that God much cares where we are. I think God cares what we're doing. You know, I mentioned this thing about getting hurt at the gym, and then I, I went and I talked to my pastor about this, and because I'd said to my coach, I don't think God wants me here anymore, and went to talk to, to, to my, one of my pastors about it, and he said, you know, I don't, I don't agree. I don't think God cares that you go to the gym. I just think he wonders, is it an idol? Does it, you spend more energy on that than you do on him? And secondly, who are you in the gym? Who are you? What are you doing there? Is he at the center? Would anyone notice any difference between you and anyone else at the gym? God's voice is about building the kingdom. It's about working with him. It's not about working on our own desires. You know, it was around that time frame, speaking of DC, where I met John, who runs uh, Allen Soaps. So if you're new to the show and you've joined this vir- virtue of uh, Clay and Buck, or you heard us uh, doing the memorial for Dory Monson, welcome. Uh, we work with a company called Allen Soaps. You can go to allensoaps.com slash Todd. John is the dad. Allen is the son. And I met John during that whole time frame where he was also pursuing the great win and the great equity win and the, and the cash flow. And there's nothing wrong with that. You've been given money to steward uh, through God. And so that you can tithe more, you make more. So you can give more to others, you make more. And God promises that. You know, the one area he said test us on is tith- test him on is tithing. It was around that time frame I met, I met John. Now, th- things just changed for John. You want to hear God's voice? God, Alan and his wife have three sons. His, their first son had no physical ailments and, and, and no neurological ailments. The second two, though, faced real challenges, particularly Alan of Alan Soaps. Very, uh, as high perhaps as it goes on the autism scale, and a lot of structural health concerns. So, life changed for John because the world was telling he and his wife, you see those boys, lock them away. In fact, you know what? Institutionalize them. They were told this. Do not drag yourself down. You're never going to be able to provide for these boys. They're never going to live an okay life. So, so here's some institutions. Lock them up and visit them on birthdays and Christmas. And they said No. And they went so far as John used his skills that God gave him to steward, that God prepped him with, that God prepared him and equipped him with to found the company called Allen Soaps. It's a place where John knows Allen can work, and he does, and he invents fragrances of soaps, and he does quality control. I challenge you to go to allensoaps.com slash Todd and find fragrances you'll see anywhere else. And here's the ultimate, ultimate destination of this company. With our help, they will hire more young people like Alan. Their employees will, will all need special help. 
Their employees will all have special needs and special talents. Alan cannot form full sentences, but Alan invents soaps and they have 30, no, three decades. I say it again, three generations of soap making expertise behind them to make these all natural made in America, small batch, all quality controlled soaps. Allensoaps.com slash Todd. There's more than soaps there. There's soap racks. There's washcloths. There's sisal pouches. Allensoaps.com slash Todd. In 1 John 4, we are cautioned to test the spirits. I got a couple of notes this week from a couple of men who say that they are being called to leave their wives, not because of adultery. One was the, we're unequally yoked. My wife is not pursuing, the, is not, has not gotten to the same level of spiritual growth that I have. Um, and, and the other is, it's not, it's not dissimilar, but it's the growing apart thing. None of them involve the biblical case for divorce. And incidentally, uh, as I went back and looked at these, these emails, I'm also getting a bunch of emails all of a sudden about people feeling, feeling very, very called by, by, by spiritually to go do things that I think run very, very directly against the word of God. But let's talk about this, testing spirits. Here's what it says in 1 John 4. And as you think about this, and you have these quandaries in your life, think about how these might answer these quandaries. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Okay, number one. If you're attending a church and the priest pretends to be neither man nor woman and says that it was God who told them to be gender queer, leave. That's a false prophet. Now, that person's not necessarily saying they're a prophet of God, but they are defile God's word every time they speak from the pulpit. Test every spirit. This gentleman who wrote me and said, my wife is just not growing at the same spiritual rate as I am. We're unequally yoked. God is calling me to leave her. No, he's not. That's not God. God is not about breaking up your family. There's a very, very small set of things that constitute a biblical divorce, abuse, violence, uh, mental abuse, um, divorce, absolute refusal to, to engage in the marriage. And I'm not a pastor, I'm not an expert, but this is how I view this, and this is how I balance this stuff. I'm, I'm trying to. Verse 2, 1 John 4, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. So Cheryl Crow, I'm not calling Cheryl Crow the Antichrist. But when Cheryl Crow says, if it makes you happy, how can it be wrong? Well, we've, we've tackled that. So in terms of taking spiritual advice, you can't get quality spiritual advice from people who do not recognize the Lord Jesus as Savior and Messiah. Not, not spiritual advice, business advice, uh, fitness advice, okay. But you cannot get that advice for the equation of eternity that we've been talking about. What is 10 minutes divided by eternity? Verse 4, little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So... If we're making fear-based decisions, terror-based decisions, one of the biggest mistakes I ever made in my life was a terror-based decision. It was agreed to put our daughter on pharmaceuticals. And I made it out of utter terror and panic. Looking at our money running out, looking at the, this, this girl that I love so dearly, God gave me to steward. And by the way, I'd made an idol of her. She knows that. She knows that I put her above God. And incidentally, that's a bad feeling for a kid. To know that they're the sole focus of your life. I made that decision out of terror. Now, fear of God is a natural thing. Sometimes we're, we should fear God. In a sense that you fear the, the, the results of, of, disappoint, or of, of disobeying a father. But to act in terror... 
That means you are acting without recognizing that he who is in us as discipled Christians is greater than the world. I'm reading a book, and we'll get into this as we go through the books. In fact, I'll wait on that because I'm reading this book I want you to know about. It has to do with dealing with demonization. Verse 5, they're from, they are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God's list, God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So if you have people saying, yeah, but, but, but the apostles, that was a different time. Uh, you know, so when they spoke about um, marriages between a man and a woman, well, they didn't have the current science, and and they didn't understand that society was going to evolve. And when they said that that you know that that lying is wrong, well, they didn't mean white lies because they didn't tell white lies then, and and they didn't mean withholding things because life has become so much more complicated. They were just men of their time. No, they were men who walked with God. It physically walked with God. So in testing God's voice, it has to go back to God's word. And remember, if it is calling you away from God, it is not God's voice. If it denies the Lord Jesus, it is not God's voice. If it denies the words of the apostles, it is not God's voice. He doesn't do that. He will never disagree with himself. He is never confused. If it's a voice of confusion or chaos, it's not God's word. If it's a voice that causes you to be afraid of the world, it's not God's word. It's not God's voice. That's the way I view it. I think we can be enriched by, by literature that is not necessarily spiritual. I, I think we can be enriched, in fact, to a great degree. And I think there are, there's 10 books that I want to present to you for, for consideration in this year's reading. And, of course, I would give it away. I'm going to go through 10 all the way up to the top book. And you already know it's going to be the Bible. But I want to present to you some books I have found very helpful to read along with the Bible. So the first book in the mini book review is called Play Dead by Ted Decker. And this was recommended to me by, um, by a younger friend of mine. She and her husband are such fantastic parents. I am so utterly thrilled with the way they steward their marriage, it's, it's, it's an inspiration to see the younger generation doing a better job than a lot of us have done. This is a book called Play Dead. It's by a guy named Ted Becker, uh, Ted Decker. And the reason I suggest reading it with teens, and it does involve a murder, just so you know, and a grisly murder. It does. And a grisly murder of teens, just so I get that out of the way. That's, that is a core part of this. But hidden in this book that is an AI thriller, an uh, uh, artificial intelligence thriller is theology. It is wound through it. I might go so far as to say one of the central themes of this book is to be in the world, but not of it. I would go so far as to say one of the lessons from the book is do not fear those who can kill the body, but only those who can end the soul. I would go so far as to say that there is a lesson in this book about the Lord Jesus' capabilities as he came to earth, fully God and fully human, and as he grew to understand this, as he aged and grew to understand who his actual father was. And it's not to say that the book is preachy. That's the point with teens. It's not preachy. It is gentle as a dove and wise as a serpent. Now, there are some aspects of the book that touch on Buddhism, but very, 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 very little of this. And I would tell you this, the central character is a woman who is complex. Her name is Angie Cunningham. She is a writer and a true crime writer. And there is a reason they call the book Play Dead. It's key to the story. Angie's an interesting character because Angie is the prototypical untrustworthy narrator. I'm not going to tell you whether Angie's crazy or not. She might well be mad. She might well be a savant. And the book answers that, and it answers it at the very best time. This year, if you have teens, I recommend reading Play Dead by Ted Decker, number, or number nine on the list. An oldie but a goodie is Girlfriend in a Coma. This is probably, gosh, a 30, 35-year-old book. 
Back in my youth, my favorite author was, was Douglas Copeland. And the first book I read of Doug's was uh, Shampoo Planet. Then I read Generation X, which is what made his name great or made, gave him this great name. I've read every one of his books. In fact, behind me, I've got several signed copies of Douglas's book and I have books. And I got to interview him for an hour and got to know him. And he was a very kind and, and very gentle and very thoughtful atheist. Agnostic. The book Girlfriend in a Coma is just that. It's about a girl who falls into a coma. But it does something very important in the, in the, in the Copeland series is that it murders the slacker. It kills off the slacker character by showing the emptiness. The emptiness of cynicism. The emptiness of living for irony. The emptiness of the whatever generation, the McJob generation, but it also leaves us wanting. He hints at God, but only hints. And he hints at an afterlife, but of what? On rereading the book, I had a completely different reaction. It's still a great story. It's still unpredictable. It's still filled with great characters and, and, and still has fantastic moral quandaries in it. But it's the direct opposite of play dead. There is no theology in it. And it's a great opportunity, I think, to reflect on that emptiness. Um, item number, book number eight, Lonesome Dove. I've, I've belabored this book. I will only tell you this. The reason I recommend it for 2023 is because it is the story of what male friendship should be. It is the story of opposites who don't appear to be opposites. The two main characters in this, Captain Call and Augustus, they appear to be of the same mind. They're, they're, they're fighters and they've ended, they've, they've gone out and ended a lot of enemies, but they respect their enemies and they're reflecting in their older age that one of the great lines of the book is, we've killed everybody that ever made this country interesting. But as a friend of mine read it, much younger than I am, in his mid-30s, very smart young man, very smart man, I should call him young man, that sounds condescending. As he read it, he came away with something that I did too and this is why I suggest you read it. It is the act of friendship at the end after a twist in the story that's going to leave everybody I've ever had read this book has the same question. Wait a minute. Did character A mean that? Did he mean for character B, I'm not using those phrases on purpose. Did he mean for character B to actually go through that, that trial? I think he was kidding. And that he goes through the trial because he didn't get a chance to clarify with his friend. You mean this? Are you joking? Because it was a deathbed request. Related to this is a book I've also talked about very often. It's called The Road. I beg you, if you are a father, to read this book. Cormac McCarthy often writes about the end of things or the borders of things. He's the author of, of, of many books that deal with the end of things and borders of things. He's a lapsed Catholic. I don't know that he's a lapsed Christian, but he's a lapsed Catholic. And some of his desires and some of the things he's wanted to write lead me to believe that he is a lapsed Christian and that he's lost his faith. It's so tempting to see the road, which is a story of a father and a son facing the truest, the, the, the most shocking portrayal of dystopian America that I've ever read. Up to and including, of course, cannibalism, and far, far worse than that. But, lapsed Catholic though he is, within the pages of this is, in fact, a discussion of something vital for our times. He says at one point about the son, the father says about the son, that he is a being made specifically for this time. And if God doesn't speak, isn't speaking through him, then the angels never existed. Why am I recommending this at this time? Because of this. We are preparing our kids sometimes for a world that no longer exists. 
We're telling our kids to do everything the way we did in a world that no longer exists. Now, we have to have them stay tight to the Word of God. That is the rock. It has to be the rock. And though he's a lapsed Catholic, that somehow comes through in the road. And yet, it's not going back to normal. I challenge you to read the book and to then, after you read it, then come back and tell me it's a book about the apocalypse. It's not. It's about the responsibility of fatherhood. Book number six, and we'll wrap this up for the days. This is what I'm currently reading. It's called Spiritual Warfare, Christians, Demonization, and Deliverance. It's by Dr. Carl I. Payne. And I met the doctor. In fact, I am deeply ashamed that I'm just now reading this book. He was kind enough to write a forward to this book. Fascinating guy. He used to be a chaplain with the Seattle Seahawks before they went all lefty, woke, insane. And far more than that, a deeply intellectual man. In this book, he discusses how to fight spiritual warfare. How does he know? Because that's what he does. If someone is not, they're suffering and it's not psychological and it's, it's not psychiatric. It can't be helped from a, from a, from a, from a therapist. If it's demonization, that's what he does. And remember when we talked just a few moments ago about the spirit of fear? I'll tell you this that I've learned from this book. You know how most people fail to deal with demonization? They allow themselves to forget that he who dwells in us is greater than all of them. And interestingly enough, this book provides a recipe. How to deal with with spiritual warfare by taking control from minute one. If you're dealing with demonization, how do you take control from minute one? I'm still half, I'm halfway through the book. I've gone to the back of it to get that, those step-by-steps. I don't often read to the back of books, but it's nonfiction. And I found that helpful as I'm going through. He does a fantastic job of weaving in his personal story, which is incredible. This guy started trying to banish demons from people when he was 17 and just a converted Christian. Clearly, God's voice called him to do this. Spiritual Warfare, Christian's Demonization Deliverance, Dr. Carl I. Payne. This is the Todd Herman Show. Please go be well, be strong, be kind, and listen to that still, small voice.